the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Golden Altar Before the Throne. That's the golden altar before the throne, and we'll bring you the first portion of that broadcast today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with the conclusion to The Golden Altar Before the Storm. When Christ took the sins of the world upon His shoulders, His body shut down. He went into shock. He would have died in minutes, perhaps seconds, if an angel had not intervened. He did not have the powers. He gave them up. He was going through this awful struggle with a human nature. That is all. And faith in God. Revelation 8, 3. Imagine the lifespans of every human being rifling through his head. Seeing in panoramic view every life as his. Identifying with every sinner as if he is that sinner because he became sin for us. He exhausted the collective consciousness of the human race. He tapped only into that part of God that would allow it to happen inside his human head. And when he was done, the words of Isaiah have been fully fulfilled. God has caused to meet in him all of our sin. Revelation 8.3 is very clear that Jesus received incense on the altar for the other altar, which is the golden altar before God. Hebrews 8.4 makes it very clear that if Jesus were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. Jesus had to go to heaven where the golden altar is to begin his high priestly ministry. Hebrews 8.3 and 4 say this clearly. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Hence it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Friend, Jesus prayed for you at the cross so he would have the right to pray for you every day of your life as your high priest in heaven. Did you get that? He prayed for you that singular moment in time. He reached out and grasped the past and the present and the future so that you have the right to represent you at the right hand of God. Friends, Jesus is our great high priest. I mean, the book of Revelation, in agreement with the book of Romans, in agreement with the book of Hebrews, is articulating the eternal apostolic gospel in these images that we are looking at. Christ started his work at the bronze altar, and he moved from that earthly altar to the golden altar. Now, I've been to Vatican Rome, and I have great respect for much of what transpired in the Middle Ages, the humanitarian work and the like. But something was missing in the medieval church. You look at the artwork and you see a picture of Christ on the cross, but you don't see very many pictures of a glorious resurrected Christ or as Jesus as our high priest. There is a feeling in the Middle Ages that Christ is not close at all. And so you have these large edifices, these tall structures, and God seems so far away. Because the theology of the medieval church never moved from the cross to the resurrection. 
It never moved from the sacrifice of Christ to Christ our righteousness as our great high priest. So what is he doing up there? You know, the one who took your place according to the revelation of the cross, the one who took your place at the altar, who prayed for you, is now taking your place in the presence of God as he continues to pray for you. The book of Hebrews teaches that Jesus prays for you every moment of your life. Let it soak in. Every moment of your life, He pours His heart out for you. And the mind of God in Him meets God for you. That's what's happening. He prays in good days and He prays for you in bad days too. He prays you through them whether you know it or not. And if Jesus is in your days, now He can be out of your days if you don't want Him. He's not going to sit there and intercede for you if you say, don't bother. Right? Now, would He force your will? Now, there's something that people say in the church that's just awfully incorrect. They say, well, it doesn't matter what you do, Jesus will still accept you. That's not true. We shouldn't be telling our children this. You break faith with Christ, you deny Him, no, He won't accept you. But with all of your sins that you're struggling with, with all of your faith struggles, with all of your deficiencies of character... He accepts you if you don't do that. If you hang on to Him, if you don't deny Him, if you just cling to Him, no matter what you're facing, you surrender your will in the midst of your storm, He accepts you and He represents you at the right hand of God. That is the vital condition for acceptance. It's faith. And if Jesus is in your days, you can overcome. The fact that Jesus stands at the golden altar means that Christ has been resurrected from death and He will never die again. Death can't sting him. Jesus is there for you for the rest of your life, as the book of Hebrews says, with the power of an indestructible life. He was declared to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And where does he stand? At the golden altar before God. Actually, I misspoke there. The book of Revelation does not say he stands at the golden altar. It says he stood at the bronze altar. He came to the cross and stood. The book of Hebrews says he sat down at the right hand of God until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. Why? Because he, what he did at the cross was good enough for your acceptance with God. It is the apostolic good news of what he has done. Revelation seven twenty three. the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, meaning Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. Some translations will say, therefore. Mine says, consequently. It means here's the conclusion of the matter. Therefore, he is able. Now, don't we have a song out there that says, he's able, he's able. I know he's able. Don't we have that song? Therefore, verse 25, what does it say? He is able for all time. In the Greek language, into the perpetuity, into the forever to save those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. As I prepare to write this sermon on Thursday of this week, events and circumstances reminded me that trouble comes when you really don't want it to come at all. Is that true? Okay. Trouble never comes at a good time and sometimes it comes at exactly the wrong time. It happened Thursday, two days ago, the perfect storm, full of trouble. I was preparing for an important meeting. And I was helping a very special person get ready for that meeting. 
when I began to realize that my plate was full of trouble. Now, I kind of started with my cat. As I swatted the cat off the car, that new car I just bought, I noticed Thursday that it had more scratches on the hood. We love that cat. No, I mean, my wife loves that cat. I'm learning to love the cat. You see, the cat has a presidential pardon around the house because my wife loves that cat more than she loves the new car. Okay, so the cat's okay. I'm not there. I got in the car for a simple task. I was simply trying to help my father-in-law print a few pages for an important meeting that we would attend that evening. I took my printer over to the hotel where he was staying with a former IBM executive, and I hooked it up in his room. It's a simple thing. You know, you, you hook up a printer. Windows recognizes it, right? Microsoft Windows, and you're off and running. Well, I thought that's how easy it would be, but everything I tried failed. My friend, that IBM executive who thought, I was a computer genius. Everywhere he goes, I set up his computer. You know, I took it out of the box from Best Buy, plugged it in. He thought I was a computer genius. Well, he learned that day that I was an IT novice at best. I mean, it's like his whole worldview came down. You can't fix it. Every printer driver I downloaded found some way to not work that day. And as we approached the deadline, we rushed to print pages somewhere else, just like frenetically connecting the dots of the day. The long plow to overcome this little adversity set me up for a greater adversity. I was racing to a meeting to negotiate a contract with an architect, and I barely arrived on time, feeling a little disheveled. I, I looked in the mirror of my car and realized that I had not shaved all day. I looked awful. Dressed in my black suit with a matching tie, I literally looked like a scruffy shaggy. I think that's the name of a person, a cartoon I saw as a kid called Scooby Dooby Doo. Shaggy was the guy with the goatee, the scruffy thing from the hippie age. I can't stand that look. I used to watch as a child, and I, I told myself I'd never let my kids go there. And that, what did my son do? He went to college and came home with one of these. I instructed my son all summer to shave that thing off his chin, and there it was now on mine. It had somehow invaded my personal presence. A goatee was forming. It had crept in by stealth like a, like a weed springing up in the garden. So I hurried home and frenzy kind of way to end the hypocrisy and get that thing off my chin. I finally located my electric shaver and I buzzed it off as quick as I could. Bzzz. Boy, that felt good, getting that thing off. Recently, you're quiet. <laughs> Some of you may have one. Okay, I'll be careful. Recently, I was diagnosed with a, an infection. It's not too serious if you get it early. And I just finished the antibiotic that was supposed to lick it. The antibiotic left me a little more tired than I usually am at the end of the day. And that night, I noticed that I was really tired. My doctor was in the meeting. And I said, Doctor, you know, I feel tired. Just wait for the antibiotic to wear off. When the meeting finished, I sped home to enjoy a nice, quiet bed of rest. To do exactly what my doctor said I needed to do. Just take it easy and kind of move on. It was then that I realized that our precious dog, Smokey, had been shut up all day long in his kennel. My wife has this saying. It motivates me to take care of my animals, especially when I don't like them. My wife has often told me that a righteous man cares about his animals. That means if I don't take care of the animals, I'm not a righteous man. That's a heavy motivator. My wife asked me in her sweet and tender way, Honey, please take Smokey out for a walk. With a small bite in my words, I said, Sure. And with a little sulk in my voice, I obeyed her sweet request reluctantly. I'm going. When I finally got to the field Smokey loves to play in, it's right outside the church. I bring him right here and he... He runs in the field. I let him loose because a dog should go that way, right? 
not toward the road. Run is what he did. He ran. He ran away. After an hour or so of calling out to him, I finally chased him down. I wooed him into the car with a tuna fish treat that I have for him. I'll take a tuna fish can. I'll knock it on the ground. He'll come right to it and eat it. It took all of that to get him there. And my travels with Smokey that night, because he doesn't obey me. He just, you, have to, you have to really trick him to get in the car. In fact, Donald, my son Donald came back from school. He says, Dad, I'm t- thoroughly disgusted with you. I left you a dog that could have been trained, and now he is permanently flawed. He's disobedient. Why didn't you take him to obedience school? I couldn't win with my son either. In my travels with Smokey that night, the check engine light came on, the new car I just bought with the scratches the cat had put on it. I noticed that morning, as I said, scratches there. So a double dose of car trouble was waiting for me at the end of the day. On the way home, I was content that I would fall under the bed I rightfully deserved. And that sleep so woefully needed would fall upon me at last, and I would greet it as a friend at the end of a very unpleasant day to close my eyes and sleep, to dream in the night for another day unlike that awful Thursday. Not to be. The book of Revelation says they have no rest day or night. For me, that happened on Thursday. And when I got home, I walked down the stairs to put smoke in his kennel. And it was just then that my foot landed beneath the final step of the stairs into a cold pool of water. The basement where Smokey sleeps was flooded. At first, I thought it was a simple leak from the air conditioner. That's happened in the past, but not this time. My wife turned on the shower upstairs at my request to see where the leak was going. And water with tissue paper and brown stuff started gurgling up from the drain that leads from the main sewer line. The sewer line had backed up into our house that night and it had to be cleaned immediately before it ruined the house. By this time, I was facing the trouble of the day on autopilot. You ever had a day like that? you just on autopilot? My sons had just left for boarding school and they had done what sons do well just before they leave. They had taken everything off the shelves and thrown them on the floor down there. That was now covered in stuff I'm not going to describe here today in church. And I feverishly searched for the wet vac to suck it all away, right? That's what you have as a contingency plan, a wet vac in your basement. How many of you have one of those? It's supposed to work. I had safely hidden that thing in a place where it would be retrieved in times like this. It wasn't there. Sons have a way of finding the stuff that dads hide. In my panic, I surmised it might be in the garage. And as I opened the door, I found my son's other pile of stuff. He had taken off the shelves of the garage, blocking the door of the garage seeking the light to switch it on so I could go through the pile to get to the back if it was there, I discovered the light was out. They'd knocked that out too. I searched for 15 minutes for a flashlight and it was dead. I couldn't find the batteries either. I I later figured out my son took them to Montana for his camera at boarding school. All my contingency plans collapsed in the perfect storm of an awful day on Thursday. So finally, I used my cell phone as I tripped my way over the debris field of my son's inventions to wet vac in the garage lying at the top of the pile that I discovered was missing its main attachment. They had replaced the long, efficient hose with a very small, skinny one and a narrow nozzle. And the job that should have taken a few minutes took an hour as I sucked it up through a narrow little tube. It was about three in the morning. And I was still hoping to fall into my bed. Glorious vision of the night still eluding me. But then I realized that if my wife woke up and she used any part of the water in the house from the commode, the shower, or the sink, this whole nightmare would start all over again. 
I've heard there's a movie out there, I've not seen it, called Groundhog Day. And they say it's when you relive your day again and again and again. I didn't want that to happen. So I woke my wife up and tried to explain as best I could that I couldn't fix this one. I mean, I've always prided myself in being a handyman that gets to the bottom of these things. So there I stood at the end of the day, a beaten man in the presence of his wife. I woke her up and I said, honey, this one's bigger than me. I can't fix it. I'm finished. She said, honey, all things work together. God wants something to be developed in our characters. I mean, your character, maybe. <laughs> I just didn't want to hear that. Now, my father-in-law is in town. He's here today, and he was there, not there at the house. He was in town. And he was planning to spend the next night in our house. He was in a hotel with this IBM executive. And there we were in the cold prospect of becoming homeless in the middle of the night with a dog and four cats trying to bring our father-in-law into the house after the hotel thing went away. And my father-in-law was in that hotel sleeping off the impact of that long day in that meeting with that old retired friend who was in the other bed. It was like twin beds. They were trying to save money. Their work was done. So I called Dad on the phone three in the morning. I was bringing my wife over to finish out the night, find a place. When it was over, I finally got home. I delivered my wife to the hotel. She took a, a bag of clothes. I chose to spend the night in the Oxentanko House of Horrors. After I'd washed my hands and face off in the sink at the hotel, because I'd been cleaning that stuff, I felt secure in settling into not our bed, my son's bed, because I wouldn't dare lie down in our bed after having been doing that kind of thing. And John Michael's at college, he doesn't know. So I, so I got in his bed and I said, here is the sleep I have so long desired. I felt like reciting the poem Thanatopsis by William Cullen Bryant, you know. It was at that very moment that I realized I had to go to the bathroom. I'd forgotten, you know, at the hotel to take advantage of that. And I remembered right then and there that there wasn't a single one in the house I could use. At this time, I was griping off the charts. I mean, I was negative. My prayers had become frustrated gesticulations aimed at God because of the frustration within my heart. I was not a happy spiritual camper that night. As I dragged myself to the car and drove with the check engine light threatening to break down my car all the way to the nearest 7-Eleven I could find. When I walked in, I ran for the bathroom. And when I walked out, I hurried for the door. Now, I reasoned that I had bought a whole lot of stuff in my life from 7-Eleven, and it was payback time that night. So I didn't have to buy anything. The 7-Eleven bathroom became a sanctuary from the storm. I cleaned myself up even more. Tried to wash my face off. I looked in the mirror and I didn't like the face I saw. As I finally found my way to my bed as the dawn was ready to break, I remember that I could not end the day without the most important duty of the day. That night it seemed like a duty to me. It didn't seem like anything very spiritual. I just did it. I bowed my head with some shame to it. And I confessed to God that I was angry with Him. I was angry at all this stuff that had happened to me that week that had come to that perfect storm on Thursday. And I was angry at what had happened to my family at the same time. I was upset that our house had suddenly become a house of horrors and we had done everything right to keep it from happening. I was frustrated that it got wrecked in a way I didn't plan. I didn't want it to happen. And that we'd been rendered paralyzed by that perfect storm of trouble. And then, and then I had not handled it the way I should.
My wife wisely decided to call in to cancel her work and try to pull it out the next day. I decided to stay at the house to guard the dog as she was sleeping at the hotel and getting herself together. The dog's supposed to guard you. Isn't that how it works? I was guarding him. And finally, I dragged myself out of bed and I reached for the cell phone to call for help to fix it. And the cell phone was dead. It was suffering from a series of software bugs that left me unable to communicate. I would touch it and the touch mechanism wouldn't work. It gradually got better through the day. I don't know how that works. Isn't it supposed to work when you reboot the phone, suddenly it's better? It took half the day for that thing to fix itself. Something strange was going on. Trapped in a house that was getting worse by the minute, I couldn't reach out to call a friend until the phone recovered. So I took the phone and I put it down, kind of hard-like. You know what that means, don't you? Okay. And I knelt at my bedside and I prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm not a very good person today. I don't feel good today. I need Jesus to dig out of this thing that has happened to us all day. And it's coming into this new day. Forgive me, God, and show me the way today. You ever prayed a prayer like that? I prayed that prayer because I needed to pray that prayer. What kind of God do we worship? Do we worship a God who only wants to hear the pretty prayers or the prayers you need to pray? We end the day in someone else's house and the problems of the day weren't fixed at all. They're still there. We didn't go home last night. I wrote this sermon and went to someone else's house. The Spinolas put us up. We slept in their basement. We're just leaving it until the Sabbath is over. We'll come back and figure out what's left. The Sabbath is the day you can let it go, isn't it? It is. And what was fixed was the deeper problem that needed the deeper help this week. You see, I needed the Jesus fix more deeply in my life. I needed to trust in God when my day was bad. I needed an opportunity to praise God when praising God seems hypocritical. I needed to say thank you, Lord, when it looked like there was nothing to be thankful for. Now, sometimes we find Jesus at the end of the day when we should have anchored ourselves in his presence at the beginning of the day. He was there the whole day with its good and bad, and he is still here today with us in spite of it. In the Bible, there's a golden altar that stands before God. And the golden altar is proof that God has not left you alone. The golden altar is proof that Jesus hears your prayer and that Jesus is more than willing to give you the power to hold your head high, to look trouble squarely in the eye and say, I will be bigger than you. You cannot defeat me. By faith in Jesus Christ, I will not surrender. Friend, Jesus is the Savior. He is the Advocate. He stands at the golden altar before God to hear any kind of prayer you'll send there from a sincere heart full of faith. And he is holding the golden censer in his right hand, as I might correct myself, as he is seated at the right hand of God. And your flawed and imperfect prayer is in his hand. And when Jesus prays for you, the universe moves to make it happen. What do you need? You need what I needed. Friend, you can say with confidence, my great high priest Jesus is all I need to overcome today. My great high priest Jesus is all I need to overcome. Repeat with me, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it with me again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And one last time from the heart, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
When faced with trouble, face it with Jesus and move from the altar to the golden altar before God into the arms of God, into the secret place of the Most High where Christ has gone ahead of you into the glorious throne room of the universe to fix it, to fix your life, to hold you for the final day of His appearing. To the glory of God, thank God the angel of the Lord is still there as the mighty Redeemer of His people. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, remember that there are many more of these sermons available for you at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism in a variety of forms is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment even. And we had this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.